0: Welcome to Volume 9 of Jeeves and the Feudal Spirit. Chapter 19 I don't know that I have a particularly vivid imagination. Possibly not, perhaps. But in circles like those which I have just outlined, you don't need a very vivid imagination to enable you to spot the shape of things to come. As plainly as if it had been the top line on an Oculus chart, I could see what the future held for Bertram. As I stood there, gaping at the closed door, a vision rose before my eyes, featuring me and an inspector of the police, the latter having in his supporting cast an unusually nasty-looking sergeant.
1: Are you coming quietly, Worcester?
0: The inspector was saying. Who, oh, me? I said quaking in every limb. I don't know what you mean. Ha-ha. Laughed the inspector. That's
1: good. Hey, Fotheringray. Very rich, sir. Said the sergeant. Makes me chuckle, it does. Too late to try anything of that sort, my man.
0: Went on the inspector, becoming grave again. The game is up. We have evidence to prove that you went to this safe, and from it, abstracted a valuable pearl necklace. The property of Mrs. L.G. Trotter. If that doesn't mean five years in the jug for you, I miss my bet. But honestly, I thought it was Aunt Dahlia's. Ha ha. Laugh the inspector. Ho, ho. Chirp the sergeant. A pretty story. Said the inspector. Tell that to the jury and see what they think of it. Farvingay, the cuffs. Such was the V that rose before my E as I gaped at that E-D, and I wilted like a salted snail. Outside in the garden birds were singing their even song, and it seemed to me that each individual bird was saying, "'Well, boys, Worcester is for it. "'We shan't see much of Worcester for the next few years. "'Too bad, too bad. "'Nice chap till he took to crime.' "'A hollow groan escaped my lips, "'but before another could follow it "'I was racing for Aunt Dahlia's room. "'As I reached it, Ma Trotter came out "'and gave me an austere look and passed on her way, "'and I went on into the presence. "'I found the old relative sitting bolt upright in a chair, "'staring before her with unseeing eyes.' It was plain that once more something had happened to inject a black frost into her sunny mood. The Agatha Christie had fallen unheeded to the floor, displaced from her lap, no doubt by a shudder of horror. Normally, I need scarcely say, my policy on finding this sterling old soul looking licked to a splinter would have been to slap her between the shoulder blades and urge her to keep her tail up, but my personal troubles left me with little leisure for raising ants. Whatever the disaster or cataclysm that had come upon her, I felt it could scarcely claim to rank in the same class as the one that had come upon me. I say, I said, the most frightful thing has happened. She nodded somberly. A martyr at the stake would have been cheerier. You bet your heliotrope socks it has. She responded, has thrown off the mask. Curse her. She wants Anatole. Well, who wouldn't?' "'It seemed for a moment as if she were about to haul off "'and let a loved-nephew have it on the side of the head. "'But with strong effort she calmed herself. "'Well, when I say calmed herself, she didn't cease to boil briskly, "'but she confined her activities to the spoken word. "'Don't you understand, you ass? "'She has come out into the open and stated her terms.' She says she won't let Trotter by the boudoir unless I give her anatole. It just shows how deeply my predicament had stirred me that my reaction to this frightful speech was practically nil. Informed at any other time that there was even a remote prospect of that superb disher-up handing in his portfolio and going off to waste his sweetness on the desert air of the Trotter home, I should unquestionably have bleached and gasped and tarted. But now, as I say, I heard those words virtually unmoved. No, really? I say, listen, old flesh and blood. Just as I got to the safe and was about to restore the trotter pearls, that chump, LG Trotter, most officiously shut the door, fooling my aims and objects and leaving me in the dickens of a jam. I'm trembling like a leaf. So am I. I don't know what to do. I don't either. I search in vain for some way out of this, what the French call, impasse. Me too. She said, picking up the Agatha Christie and hurling it in a passing vase. When deeply stirred, she's always inclined to kick things and throw things. At Tutley Towers, during one of our more agitated conferences, she had cleared the mantelpiece in my bedroom of its entire contents, including a terracotta elephant and a porcelain statuette of the infant Samuel in prayer. I don't suppose any woman ever has had such a problem to decide. On the one hand, life without Anatole is a thing almost impossible. Here I am, stuck with this valuable pearl necklace, the property of Mrs. L. G. Trotter, and when its loss, to contemplate on the other, is discovered, hues and cries will be raised, inspectors and sergeants sent for. And I must sell the boudoir... "'or I can't take that necklace of mine out of hock, so... "'And I shall be found with what is known as hot ice on my person. "'Ice!' "'And you know as well as I do what happens to people "'who are caught in the possession of hot ice.' "'Ice!' "'She repeated and sighed dreamily. "'I think of those prawns and iced aspect of his. "'I say to myself that I should be mad to face a lifetime "'without Anatole's cooking. "'That... Celle d'Agnon de Gracon, and that mignette, the petite duck, and those nonnats del Mediterranean of Phenul. And then I feel I must be practical. I've got to get that necklace back, and if the only way of getting it back is to... Sweet, suffering soup spoons. She vociferated, if that's the word, anguish written on her every feature. I wonder what Tom will say when he hears Anatole is leaving. And I wonder what he'll say when he hears his nephew is doing a stretch at Dartmoor. Eh? A stretch at Dartmoor! Who's going to do a stretch at Dartmoor? I am. You? Me. Why? I gave her a look which I suppose, strictly speaking, no nephew should have given an aunt, but I was sorely exasperated. Haven't you been listening? I demanded. She came back at me with equal heat. Of course I haven't been listening! "'Do you think that when I am faced with the prospect "'of losing the finest cook in the Midland counties "'I have time to pay attention to your vapid conversation? "'What were you babbling about?' "'I drew myself up. "'The word babbling had wounded me. "'I was merely mentioning that, "'Owing to that ass, L.G. Trotter, "'having shut the door of the safe "'before I could deposit the fatal necklace, "'I am landed with a thing. "'I described it as hot ice.' Oh, that's what you were saying about ice! That was what? I also hazarded the prediction that in two shakes of a duck's tail, inspectors and sergeants would come scooping me up and taking me off to the chokey. Nonsense! Why should anyone think you had anything to do with it? I laughed. One of those short, bitter ones. You don't think it may arouse their suspicion when they find the runny thing in my trouser pocket? At any moment I may be caught with the goods on me, and you don't have to read many thrillers to know what happens to unfortunate slobs who are caught with the goods on them. They get it in the neck. I could see she was profoundly moved. In my hours of ease this aunt is sometimes uncertain, coy and hard to please. And when I was younger, she not unfrequently sloshed me in the ear hole if my behaviour seemed to her to call for the gesture. But let real pale threatened Bertram and she's in there swinging every time. This isn't good. She said picking up a small footstool and throwing it at a china shepherdess on the mantelpiece. I endorsed this view, expressing the opinion that it was dashed awful. You'll have to... hist. Eh? hist. What do you mean, hist? What I meant by the monosyllable was that I had heard footsteps approaching the door. Before I could explain this, the handle turned sharply and Uncle Tom came in. My ear told me at once that all was not well with his relative by marriage. When Uncle Tom has anything on his mind, he rattles his keys. He was jingling now like a xylophone. His face had the haggard, careworn look which it wears when he hears that we can guests are expected.
1: It's the judgment,
0: he said, bursting into speech with a whoosh. Aunt Dolly I master agitation with what I imagined she thought to be a genial smile. Hello, Tom. Come and join the party. What's the judgment? This is on me. For weakly allowing you to invite those infernal trotters here. I knew something awful would happen. I felt it in my bones. You can't fill the house up with people like that without courting disaster. Stands to reason. He's got a face like a weasel. "'She's twenty pounds overweight, and that son of hers wears whiskers. "'It was madness ever to let them cross the threshold. "'Do you know what's happened?' "'No! What?' "'Somebody has pinched her necklace.' "'Good heavens!' "'I thought that would make you sit up.' "'Said Uncle Tom with gloomy triumph.' "'She collared me in the hall just now and said she wanted the thing to wear at dinner tonight.' I took her to the safe and opened it, and it wasn't there. I told myself I had to keep my cool. You mean I said that it had gone? He gave me a rather unpleasant look. You've got a lightning brain. He said. Well, I have, of course. But how could it have gone, I asked? Was the safe opened? No, shut. But I must have left it open. All that fuss of putting that frightful fellow sit cup to bed distracted my attention. I think he was about to say that it just showed what happened when you let people like that into your house, but checked himself on remembering he was the one who had invited him. "'Well, there it is,' he said. "'Somebody seems to have come along while we were upstairs, seen the safe door opened, and helped himself. The trottle woman is raising gain. It was only my urgent entreaties that kept her from sending for the police then and there.' "'I told her we could get much better results by making secret inquiries. "'Didn't want a scandal, I said, "'but I doubt if I could have persuaded her "'if it hadn't been that young Goridge came along and backed me up. "'Quite an intelligent young fellow, that, "'though he does wear those whiskers.' "'I cleared my throat nonchalantly. "'At least I tried to do it nonchalantly. "'Then what steps are you taking, Uncle Tom?' I'm going to excuse myself during dinner on the plea of a headache, which I've got, I don't mind telling you, and go and search the rooms. It's just possible I might dig something up. Meanwhile, I'm off to get a drink. The whole thing has upset me considerably. Will you join me in a quick one, Bertie, my boy? I think I'll stick on here, if you don't mind, I said. And Dolly and I are talking of this and that. He produced a final obligato on the keys. Well, suit yourself, but it seems odd to me in my present frame of mind that anyone can refuse a drink. I wouldn't have thought it possible. As the door closed behind him, Aunt Dahlia expelled her breath like a death rattle. Golly, she said, it seemed to me the mort just. What shall we do now, do you think, I queried. I know what I'd like to do. I'd like to put the whole thing up to Jeeves. "'if certain fat heads had not let him go off on toots in London "'just when we need him most. "'He may be back by now. Ring for Seppings and ask.' "'I pressed the bell. "'Oh, Seppings,' I said as he entered. "'Has Jeeves got back yet?' "'Yes, sir.' "'Then send him here with all speed,' I said. "'A few moments later the man was with us, "'looking so brainy and intelligent that my heart leapt up "'as if it beheld a rainbow in the sky.' "'Oh, Jeeves!' I yipped. "'Oh, Jeeves!' "'Yipped Aunt Dahlia, dead-heating with me. "'After you,' I said. "'No, go ahead,' she replied, "'curiously yielding the floor. "'Your predicament is worse than my predicament. "'Mine can wait.' "'I was touched.' "'Very handsome of you, old egg,' I said. "'Much appreciated. "'Jeeves, your close attention, if you please. "'Certain problems have arisen.' Yes, sir. Two in all? Yes, sir. Shall we call them Problem A and Problem B? Certainly, sir, if you wish. Then here is Problem A, the one affecting me. I ran through the scenario, putting the facts clearly and well. So there you are, Jeeves. Bend the brain to it. If you wish to pace the corridor, do so by all means. That will not be necessary, sir. One sees what must be done. I said I would be glad if he could arrange it so the two could. You must restore the necklace to Mrs. Trotter, sir. Give it back to her, you mean. Precisely, sir. But Jeeves, I said, my boy shaking a little, isn't she going to wonder how I've come to have my hooks on the thing? Will she not probe and question, and having probed and questioned, rush to the telephone and put in her order for inspectors and sergeants? "'A muscle at the side of his mouth twitched indulgently.' "'The restoration would, of course, have to be accomplished with secrecy, sir. "'I would advocate placing the piece of jewellery in the lady's bedchamber "'at a moment when it was unoccupied, possibly while she was at dinner.' "'But I should be at dinner, too! "'I can't say excuse me and dash upstairs in the middle of the fish-course!' "'I was about to suggest that you allow me to attend to the matter, sir.' My movements will be less circumscribed. You mean you'll handle the whole binge? If you will give me the piece of jewellery, sir, I shall be most happy to do so. I was overcome. I burned with remorse and shame. I saw how mistaken I had been in supposing that he had been talking through the back of his neck. Golly, Jeeves, that's pretty futile. Not at all, sir. You solved the whole thing. Rem, what's that expression of yours? Rem acu tetagisti, sir. That's it! It does mean you put your finger on the knob, doesn't it? That is the rough translation of the Latin, sir. I am happy to have given satisfaction. But I did understand you to say that there was a further matter that is troubling you, sir. Problem B is mine, Jeeves. Said Aunt Dahlia, who during this slice of dialogue had been waiting in the wigs chafing a bit at being withheld from taking the stage. It's about Anatole. Yes, madam. Mrs. Trotter wants him. Indeed, madam. And she says she won't let Trotter buy the boudoir unless she gets him. And you know how vital it is that I sell the boudoir. Sweet spirits of Niter! Cried the old relative passionately. "'If only there was some way of inserting a backbone into L. G. Trotter "'and making him stand up to that woman and defy her!'
1: "'There is, madam.'
0: Dahlia leaped about a foot and a quarter. "'It was as though that calm response had been a dagger of oriental design "'thrust into the fleshy part of a leg. "'What did you say, Jeeves? Did you say there was?' "'Yes, madam.' "'I think it will be a reasonably simple matter "'to induce Mr. Trotter to override the lady's wishes.' "'I didn't want to cast a damper over the proceedings, "'but I had to put in a word here. "'Frightfully sorry to have to dash the cup of joy "'from your lips, old tortured spirit,' I said, "'but I fear that all this comes under the head "'of wishful thinking. "'Pull yourself together, Jeeves. "'You speak—what is it, airily?' airily or glibly, sir.' "'Thank you, Jeeves. "'You speak airily or glibly—' of inducing L. G. Trotter to throw off the yoke and defy his considerably better half. But are you not too—oh, dash it, I've forgotten the word! Sanguine, sir. That's it, Sanguine! Brief with my acquaintance with these twain has been, I have got L. G. Trotter's number. His attitude towards my trotter is that of an exceptionally diffident worm toward a sinewy Plymouth rock, or Orpington. A word from her and he calls up into a ball. So when do you get off with that simple matter to override wishes stuff? I thought I had him there, but no. If I might explain, I gather from Mr. Seppings, who has had opportunity of overhearing the lady's conversation, that Mrs. Trotter, being socially ambitious, is extremely anxious to see Mr. Trotter knighted, madam. And Dahlia nodded. Yes, that's right. She's always talking about it. She thinks it would be one in the eye for Mrs. Alderman Blankensop. Precisely, madam. I was rather surprised. To the knight-birds like him? Oh, yes, sir. A gentleman of Mr. Trotter's prominence in the world of publishing is always in imminent danger of receiving the accolade. Danger? Don't those buzzers like being knighted? Not when they are of Mr. Trotter's retiring disposition, sir. He would find it... A very testing ordeal. It involves wearing satin knee breeches, and walking backwards with a sword between the legs-not at all the sort of thing a sensitive gentleman of regular habits would enjoy. And he shrinks, no doubt, from the prospect of being addressed for the remainder of his life as Sir Lemuel. His name's not Lemuel. I fear it is, sir. Uh... Couldn't he use his second name? His second name is Gengulphus. "'Golly, Jeeves,' I said, thinking of old Uncle Tom's Port Arlington. "'There's some raw work pulled at the font from time to time, is there not?' "'There is indeed, sir.' "'Aunt Dahlia seemed perplexed, like one who strives in vain to put a finger on the knob. "'Is all this leading to something, Jeeves?' "'Yes, madam. I was about to hazard the suggestion that, were Mr. Trotter, to become aware that the alternative to buying Milady's boudoir "'was the discovery by Mrs. Trotter "'that he had been offered a knighthood "'and had declined it. "'You would find the gentleman more easily moulded "'than in the past, madam.' "'It took Aunt Dahlia right between the eyes "'like a sock full of wet sand. "'She tarted and grabbed her support "'of the upper part of my right arm, "'giving it the dickens of a pinch. "'The anguish caused her next remark to escape me, "'though, as it was no doubt merely, gosh, lord love a duck or something like that sort i suppose i didn't miss much when the mist had cleared from my eyes and i was myself again jeeves was speaking it appears that mrs trotter several months ago insisted on mr trotter engaging the services of a gentleman's personal gentleman a young fellow named warple and warple contrived to secure the rough draft of mr trotter's letter of refusal from the waste paper basket he had recently become a member of the Junior Ganymede, and in accordance with Rule 11, he forwarded the document to the Secretary for Inclusion in the Club Archives. Through the courtesy of the Secretary, I was enabled to peruse it after luncheon, and a photostatic copy of it is to be dispatched to me through the medium of the post. I think that if you were to mention this to Mr. Trotter, madam... Aunt Dahlia uttered a whoop similar in timber to those to which she had been accustomed to omit in the old corn and Pitchley days when encouraging a bevy of hounds to get on the scent and give it both nostrils. We've got him cold! So one is disposed to imagine, madam. I'll tackle him right away! You can't, I pointed out. He's gone to bed. Touch of dyspepsia. Then tomorrow, directly after breakfast! Said Aunt Dahlia. Oh, Jeeves! Emotion overcame her, and she grabbed at my arm again. It was like being bitten by an alligator. Chapter 20 At about the hour of nine the next morning, a singular spectacle might have been observed on the main staircase of Brinkley Court. It was Bertram Worcester coming down to breakfast. It is a fact well known to my circle that only on very rare occasions do I squash in at the communal morning meal, preferring to chew the kipper or whatever it may be in the seclusion of my bedchamber but a determined man can nerve himself to almost anything, if necessary, and I was resolved at all costs not to miss the dramatic moment when Aunt Dahlia tore off her whiskers and told a cowering LJ Trotter that she knew all. It would, I felt, be value for money. Though slightly on the synambulistic side, I don't know when I have felt more strongly that the lark was on the wing and the stale on the thorn and God is his heaven and all right with the world. Thanks to Jesus' outstanding acumen, Aunt Dahlia's problems were solved, and I was in a position, if I cared to be rude enough, to laugh in the faces of any inspectors and sergeants who might blow in. Furthermore, before retiring to rest on the previous night, I had taken the precaution to recover the cosh from the old relative, and it was securely on my person once more. Little wonder that as I entered the dining room, I was within an ace of bursting into song and piping... As the linnets do, as I have heard Jeeves put it. The first thing I saw on crossing the threshold was Stilton wolfing ham. The next, Daphne Dolores Moorhead finishing off a repast with toast and marmalade.
1: Ah, oh, Bertie, old man.
0: Cried the former, waving a fork in the friendliest manner.
1: So there you are, Bertie, old fellow. Come in, Bertie, old chap. Come in. Splendid to see you looking so rosy. His
0: cordiality would have surprised me more "'if I hadn't seen in it a ruse or stratagem "'designed to put me off my guard "'and lull me into a false sense of security. Keenly alert, I went to the sideboard "'and helped myself with my left hand "'to the sausages and bacon, "'keeping the right hand on the cosh in my side pocket. "'This jungle warfare teaches a man to take no chances.' "'Nice morning,' I said, "'having taken my seat and dipped the lips into a cup of coffee. "'Lovely!' agreed moorhead who was looking more than ever like a dewy flower at daybreak darcy is going to take me for a row on the river yes said stilton giving her a burning glance
1: one feels that daphne ought to see the river you might tell your aunt we shall not be back for lunch sandwiches and hard-boiled eggs are being provided
0: by that nice butler
1: by as you say that nice butler who also thought it might run to a bottle of the best from the oldest bin. We shall be starting off almost immediately.
0: I'll be going and getting ready, said the Moorhead. She rose with a bright smile, and Stilton, full through he wa- She rose with a bright smile, and Stilton, full though he was of ham, bounded gallantly to open the door for her. When he returned to the table, he found me, rather ostentatiously,
1: brandishing the cosh. This seemed to surprise him. Hello? He said. What are you doing with that thing? Oh,
0: nothing, I replied nonchalantly, resting it by my plate. I just thought I'd like to have it handy. He swallowed a chunk of ham in a puzzled way, then his face cleared.
1: Good lord, you didn't think I was going to set upon you? I said that some such idea had crossed my mind, and he uttered an amused laugh. "'Good heavens, no! "'Why, I look on you as my dearest pal, old man!' "'Seemed to me that if yesterday's
0: session "'was a specimen of the way he comported himself "'toward his dearest pals, "'the ones who weren't quite so dear "'must have a pretty thin time of it. "'I said as much, and he laughed again as heartily "'as if he had been standing on the dock "'at Vinton Street Police Court with his warship, "'getting off those nifties of which convulsed all the sundry. Oh, that? He said, dismissing the incident with an airy wave of his hand.
1: Forget all that, dear old chap. Put it right out of your mind. Perhaps I was a little cross on the occasion to which you to refer, but no longer.
0: No? I said guardedly.
1: Definitely not. I see now I owe you a deep debt of gratitude. I might still be engaged to that pill, Florence. Thank you, Bertie, old man."
0: Well, I said, not at all, and don't mention it or something of that sort, but my head was swimming. What, with getting up for breakfast and hearing this cheese ride allude to Florence as a pill, I felt like I was in some sort of a dream. I thought you loved her, I said, digging a bewildered fork into my sausage. He laughed again. Only a beefy man of hardiness like G. Darcy Cheesewright could have been capable of so much merriment at such an
1: hour. Who, me? Good heavens, no. I may have imagined I did once, one of those boyish fancies, but when she said I had a head like a pumpkin, the scales fell from my eyes and I came out of the ether. Pumpkin, forsooth. I don't mind telling you, Bertie, old chap, That there are others, I will mention no names, who have described my head as majestic. Yes, I have it from a reliable source that it makes me look like a king among men. That will give you a rough idea of what a silly young geezer that blighted Florence Cray is. It is a profound relief to me that you have enabled me to get her out of my hair. He thanked me again and I said don't mention it, or it may have been not at all. I was feeling dizzier than ever.
0: Then you don't think, I said with a quiver in the V, that later on, when the hot blood has cooled, there might be a reconciliation?
1: Not a hope.
0: It's happened before.
1: It won't happen again. I know now what love really is, Bertie. I tell you, when somebody, who shall be nameless, gazes into my eyes and says that the first time she saw me, In spite of the fact that I was wearing a moustache fully as foul as that of yours, something went over her like an electric shock. I feel as if I have just won the diamond skulls at Henley. It's all washed up between Florence and me. She's yours, old man. Take her, old chap. Take her. Well, I said, something civil like, oh, thanks,
0: but he wasn't listening. A silvery voice had called his name, and pausing but an instant to swallow the last of his ham, he shot from the room, face aglow and eyes a sparkle. He left me with a heart like lead within the bosom, and the sausage and bacon turned into ashes in my mouth. This, I could see, was the end. It was plain to the least observant eye that G. Darcy Cheesewright had got it properly up the nose. Morehead preferred was boobing, and cray ordinaries down in the cellar with no takers and I had been so certain that in due season wiser counsels would prevail, causing these two sundered hasts to regret the rift in the lute and decide to have another pop at it, thus saving me from the scaffold once more. But it was not to be. Bertram was for it. He would have to drain the bitter cup after all. I was starting on a second installment of coffee it tasted like the bitter cup when LG Trotter came in. The one thing I didn't want in my enfeebled state was to have to chew the fat with the trotters. But when you're alone in the dining room with a fellow, something of the nature of conversation is inevitable. So as he poured himself a cup of tea, I said it was a beautiful morning and recommended the sausages and bacon. He reacted strongly, shuddering from head to foot.
1: Sausages?
0: He said. Bacon? He said. Don't talk to me about sausages and bacon. My Pepsi is worse than ever. Well, if he was prepared to thresh out the subject of his aching tongue, I was prepared to lend a ready ear. But he skipped on to another topic. You married? He asked. I winced a trifle and said I wasn't actually married yet. And you won't ever be, if you go on a morseless sense. He proceeded and brooded darkly over his tea for a moment. You know what happens when you get married? You're bust. You can't call your soul your own. You become just a suffer in your home. I must say I was a bit surprised to find him so confidential to one who was, after all, a fairly mere stranger. But I put it down to dyspepsia. No doubt the shooting pains had robbed him of his cool judgment. Have an egg, I said, by way of showing him that my heart was in the right place. He turned green and tied himself into a lover's knot. I oh, won't well, have an egg. Don't keep telling me to have things. You think I could look at eggs feeling the way I do? It's all this infernal French cooking. No digestion can stand up to it. Marriage. He said, getting back to the old subject. Don't talk to me about marriage. You get married and the first thing you know, you got stepsons rung in on you, who grow whiskers and don't do a stroke of honest work. All they do is write poems about sunsets. Posh I'm pretty shrewd and it flashed upon me at this point that it might quite possibly be his stepson Percy, to whom he was guardedly alluding. But before I could verify the suspicion, the room had begun to fill up. Round about 9.20, which it was now, you generally find the personnel of a country house lining up for the eats. Aunt Dahlia came in and took a fried egg. Mrs. Trotter came in and took a sausage. Percy and Florence came in and took respectively a slice of ham and a portion of haddock. As there was no sign of Uncle Tom, I presumed he was breakfasting in bed. He generally does, rarely feeling equal to facing his guests till he has fortified himself a bit for the stern ordeal. Those present had got their heads down and their elbows squared and were busily employed getting theirs when seppings appeared with the morning newspapers and conversation, not that there had ever been much of it, flagged. It was to a silent gathering that there now entered a newcomer, "'A man about seven feet in height, with a square, powerful face, "'slightly moustached toward the centre. "'It was some time since I had set eyes on Roderick Spode, "'but I had no difficulty in recognising him. "'He was one of those distinctive-looking blisters "'who once seen I never forgotten. "'He was looking a little paler, I thought, "'as if he had recently had an attack of vertigo "'and hit his head on the floor. "'He said good morning in what, for him, was a rather weak voice.' And Andalia glanced up from her daily mirror. Why, Lord Sidcup, she said, I never expected you'd be able to come down for breakfast. Are you sure it's wise? Do you feel better this morning?
1: Considerably better,
0: thank you. He responded bravely. The swelling has to some extent subsided. I'm so glad. That's those cold compresses. "'I was hoping they would bring home the bacon. "'Lord Sidcup had a nasty fall yesterday evening. "'We think it must have been a sudden giddiness. "'Everything went black, didn't it, Lord Sidcup?' "'He nodded and was plainly sorry next moment that he had done so, "'for he winced, as I have sometimes winced "'when rashly oscillating the bean "'after some outstanding night of revelry the drones.' "'Yes?' It was almost
1: extraordinary, I was standing there feeling perfectly well, never better in fact, when it was as though something hard hit me on the head, and I remembered no more till I came to my room with you smoothing my pillow and your butler mixing me a cooling drink." "'That's
0: life,' said Aunt Dahlia, gravely. "'Yes, sir, that's life all right. Here today and gone tomorrow.' "'I often say that. "'Bertie, you young hellhound, "'take that beastly cigarette of yours outside. "'It smells like guano.' "'I rose, always willing to oblige, "'and had sorted about halfway to the French windows, "'when from the lips of Mrs. L. G. Trotter "'there suddenly proceeded what I could only describe as a screech. "'I don't know if you have ever inadvertently on an unseen cat. "'Much the same sort of thing, though.' Taking a quick look at her, I saw that her face had become almost as red as Dahlia's. Well, she ejaculated. She was staring at the times, which was what she had drawn in the distribution of the morning journals, in much the same manner as a resident of India would have stared at a cobra when he had found it nestling in his bathtub. Of all the... she said, and then the words failed her. helge Trotter gave a sort of look the cobra might have given the resident of India who had barged in on the morning bath. I can understand now how he felt. A man with dyspepsia, already out of harmony with his wife, does not like to hear that the wife is screaming her head off in the middle of breakfast. What on earth's the matter? He said testily. Her bosom heaved like a stage i I'll tell you what's the matter. They've gone and knighted Robert Blenkinsop. They have. Said Elgie Trotter. Gosh. The stricken woman seemed to think "Gosh" inadequate. Is that all you can say? It wasn't. He now said "Bagoom." She could take it to erupt like one of those volcanoes, which spills over from time to time and makes the neighboring householders think a bit. Robert Blenkinsop, Robert Blenkinsop, of all the iniquitous pieces of idiocy! I don't know what things are coming to nowadays. I never heard of such a. May I ask why you are laughing? Angie Trotter curled up beneath her eye like a sheet of carbon paper. Not laughing. He said meekly, just smiling. I was thinking of Bobby Blakensop walking backwards with satin knee breeches on. Ho oh, Said Ma Trotter, and her voice rang through the room like that of a costermonger indicating to his public that he has Brussels sprouts and blood oranges for sale. Well, let me tell you, that that is never going to happen to you. If you are ever offered a knighthood, Lemuel, you will refuse it. Do you understand? I won't have you cheapening yourself. There was a crash. It was Aunt Dahlia dropping a coffee cup. I could appreciate her emotion. She was feeling precisely as I had felt, and learning from Percy that the Worcester Dart Sweep Ticket had changed hands, leaving Stilton free to attack me with tooth and claw. There's nothing that makes a woman sicker than the sudden realization that somebody, she thought, she was holding in the hollow of her hand, isn't in the hollow of her hand by a jugful. So far from being in the hollow of her hand, LG Trotter was stepping high, wide, and handsome, with his hat on the side of his head. And I wasn't surprised that the thing had shaken her to her foundation garments. In the silence which followed, LG Trotter's response to his wifely ultimatum, it was, if I remember correctly, OKAY! Slippings appeared in the doorway. He was carrying a silver salver, and on the salver lay a pearl necklace.